may seem all around us, we know how the story ends. Christ has won the victory. It's him we worship. And it's him we live for. So God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that what we do not know, you would teach us. What we do not have, you would give us. And what we are not, you would make us by your spirit, through your word. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. We have inevitably reached day one of the year where we are supposed to figure out very quickly what we are supposed to do next. In the twinkling of an eye, we went from people talking to us about the end of the year, not only talking to us about the end of the year, asking money from us so they could pay for their various things. We also uh, received book lists. Did anyone see any book lists floating anywhere? These are the books that I read. Uh, Really, these are just to shame normals like myself. I read 471 books. I've got four kids. Push. (laughs) One friend of mine offered this. He said, here are the TV shows I watched while all of those other people were reading books. We moved from the end of the year to the beginning of the new year, and I've already been challenged so many times. I've been challenged to push-ups. I've been challenged to not the orange ones either, like push-ups on the ground, plank challenge. 90 minutes of plank challenge was one of the challenges that someone forced at me. Uh, One challenge from one uh, fundraiser was to row 62,000 meters throughout the year. The end of the year. The beginning of the new year. And then there are the supplements. Anyone been encouraged to buy any supplements yet? And how I need to order these supplements so that I can do a one-armed curl pull-up while drinking a double protein shake. That is a liberal term, by the way, milkshake. Uh, From a company called Tor Up. The ingredients are basically a 24-pack of Red Bull per serving that reads, For the best results, dry scoop. I googled what dry scooping was. Have you heard of this? If protein powder was not bad enough, there are people in the Lord's America that have chosen that they are going to dry scoop. It is foregoing mixing your nasty protein supplement energy booster with water and just shoveling it directly into your face. It's like eating sand. For believers, we do the same thing. We're challenged, we're pushed, we begin to wrestle with what we're supposed to do next. What is 2023 going to look like in a way that 2022 did not look like? What are things that I'm going to add to my faith walk? What are the things that God is going to use? How am I going to shift? How am I going to shape up? How am I going to grow spiritual abs? We begin to think about these things. So our big idea for today, and I want us to hear this, what the Lord has for us, It's exactly what he had for us. What he has for you to do is what he has had for you to do. There are numerous passages that remind us of that throughout the totality of Scripture. Micah 6 verse 8 is one of my favorites. It says this, Mankind, he has told you, he has told each of you what is good. And he has told you what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus in the great commandment echoes what we see in the Shema and in the book of Leviticus when he says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is like this. You are to love your neighbor as what the Lord has for us is what he had for us. His, his plan for us has not changed. His purpose for your life has not changed. And it may seem boring. But God has said, quit trying to find new things. This is what I have for my people. Today we're dealing with one of those passages out of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You're going to be familiar with this text because it's pretty popular. Jesus said it. He says to those who follow him, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light, the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What the Lord has for us is what He's had for us. That we would be His people living in a world in a deliberate way that says that we believe that our Jesus is worth our lives. That He's worth the things that we do. He's worth the things that we say. He's worth what we spend. When He says this phrase to these people. It's in a portion of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount that you may or may not be familiar with. In the Sermon on the Mount, as in with every sermon, there are two groups there. There are the hearers. There are the believers in, in His presence. The disciples of Jesus who are hearing Him say this. And then there are those who are overhearing Jesus deliver this message. And in every room that every preacher preaches to, that's what's there. You have those who hear, and because they are believers in Jesus, these things resonate and they sit tight. And for those who are not believers, it's an invitation. It's God speaking from His Word to people, hearers and overhearers. When we look at this, we're seeing that when we live in the way of Jesus, we're celebrating all that Christ has done for us and all that Christ is to us. And the salt and light statements, they live out that celebration. To be salt and light is to live out that you believe that what Jesus has for your life is uniquely and intrinsically different than what the entirety and the totality of our world has for your life. And we are inviting people all the while to participate in God's great celebration. That we will be part of who God is and what God, he, what God happens to be doing. The salt and light statements, they invite us as believers to not try to find our identity in things other than the person of Jesus. We look at this text, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now in Roman times uh, and throughout the Middle Ages, salt was a really valuable commodity. It was referred to at times as white gold as opposed to black gold, Texas tea. This high demand for salt was due to its important use in a couple of things. One, preserving food, especially meat and fish. So it is used to preserve. And if you've ever heard the word salary, or if you've ever received a salary, could you let me know that you have about raising your hand? Okay, great. Uh, congratulations. We'll talk about giving at the end of the service. It, it comes from the word salarium because there were times that Roman soldiers were paid 
in salt. That's how big of a deal salt was. It's unlike the salt that we buy at the grocery store in that that has a different purpose. It's for flavor. In a world without Maytag and without Whirlpool, it was the closest thing that you had to a freezer. We've had a couple of instances at the Pohome over the years where, where freezers thawed out because of power outages or because I got a pint of ice cream stuck in the door and it didn't shut properly. <laughs> Once Noli and a small friend, uh, they were in our garage and we had a deep freeze, not a standing freeze, so you had less stuff to ruin. But she turned the dial of the friend, not my daughter, of course. She turned the dial of the freezer over and when we, you walked outside it looked like there had been this animal and pineapple sacrifice right there in the floor of our garage as if a whale had been mutilated and all of his whale friends were making noise like but because of its use as a preservative salt is this thing that holds it's as if when Jesus uses phrases and he talks about salt he is saying to a world this is what stores this is where we hold things together because of its use as a preservative salt became a token of, of permanence to, these, to, the old, to the Jewish people of the Old Testament it, its use in Hebrew sacrifice, sacrifices as a meat purifier came to signify the internal covenant between God and Israel so Jesus to a group of Jewish people more than likely with maybe a few scattered Gentiles there says, you who are trusting in who I am and in what I'm doing, you are God's agents of, redemptions, of redemption in this world. Now make no mistake, you're not the Redeemer. But you have been placed in this world to preserve. A world that seems to be rotting and decaying and finding its identity in any and everything other than the God who made it. You as believers in me, you get to say God is about something bigger and better and more important than that. That we would see our place as preservatives in this world. That we would be people who redirect to the God who made it. And in the midst of the chaos that abounds and runs amok, we would say there is order somewhere and that is in this crucified, resurrected Messiah you, the people who follow me, are to remind everyone who encounters you of God's promise to humanity. That the songs that we sing are songs that declare the invitation God has presented. That we can know the hope of a Savior. We can know the redemption of a Redeemer. Then there's this question, but what if the salt, if it loses its saltiness, if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and to be trampled under people's feet. The wording there is unique. Salt could not be made not salty. Now, I know there is probably some weird chemical way to do it, but explaining chemical engineering to these first century shepherds uh, would be the same as us explaining what the shortstop of the Houston Astros was to them. 
Jesus in this passage is pointing out to lose its saltiness means to, to lose its ability to preserve. And there were ways to dilute it. If you were the recipient of salt that was diluted, you'd been rooked or conned. And it wasn't going to do what it was supposed to do. There was no need to keep it. So you would just open your door if you had a door and you would pour it into the street and if you were kind, you would spread it a bit and it would go everywhere and people would walk on it not even realizing what they were stepping on. Imagine you're having a large group of people over for dinner. It's spaghetti night and you think that you've got three jars of sauce but you only have one. Rather than going to the store... You try to stretch it by mixing in water and a few cherry tomatoes you stole from your neighbor's window. You taste the sauce. It is nasty. Because you were trying to live a lie. And you should not try to live a lie. You throw it out and you order pizza. What Jesus is pointing out here is the idea of a dilution, of a watering down. The notion that there is the potential for believers in Him to be so deluded and watered down by the things of this world that we do not serve in the function of preserving and of pointing to the idea that there is a great preserver, that there is a one who is our hope in the face of rotten decay. Are we people who are deluded? What does it mean for us to be deluded? It may mean that the voices that are in our head are so consistently anti the notion of who Jesus is that we need to rid ourselves of them because we have these voices that keep us from functioning the way that God would have us to function. And that point is not a right or left point. If, if you are thinking in those terms, that point is one where we would say, if this looks like Jesus, smells like Jesus, seems to be a thing of Jesus, then there should be hope there for everyone and not just for people who agree with me. The message of Jesus is a unique one. He, he tells us these things. The disciples are risking this when they allow the values of their world. And we are risk, risking it when we allow the values of our world to infiltrate us. And, and they cause us to, uh, to suppress the purified saltiness uh, that God desires in each and every one of our lives. Jesus says to you as a believer and to me as a believer, you are the salt of the earth. And he says this intently when he's letting us know that you and you alone as believers are the salt of the earth. You are placed here for the preservation to offset the decay of the world. And you may say something to the effect of, well, Chet, the world is going to Hades in a handbasket. We don't have the option to be negative in response to the way the world seems to function. We as believers in Jesus, because we believe that Christ himself is order and God himself is still hope, we are to live a continually optimistic outlook on life. We are to be people who really do believe that Jesus is better, which we sing sometimes. We paint on our building. No, one... Uh, Christian Bible teacher who I love, her name is Paige Benton Brown, she says this, a Christian perspective on the world is always optimistic. This is not because the world is okay. It's because Jesus reigns. No matter how mad it looks out there, Jesus still reigns. 
Jesus still rules. We got louder on the part of the song about we know how the story ends. That's not just what takes place when we got Jared playing a keyboard behind us. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to be people who live God's optimism in this world? What does it look like? This passage comes out of a big portion of Scripture called the Beatitudes. And we see what it looks like when Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. All of those phrases are saying to someone who is in Jesus, you realize this world does not get to define you. And we run the risk of allowing that to happen when we are existing in a deluded way outside of what Jesus actually has for us. You are the light of the world, verse 14 says. Salt, light. You're the light of the world. And a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Light runs through the Old Testament. Numerous times in the Old Testament there were prophets. And, and then you see the promised Messiah, this Jesus, was referred to as the light and, and a light to the nations. And Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. Jesus lets us know that about himself. I am the light of the world. And when we hear that, we may read a text like this and seem a tad bit confused. He's the light. How am I the light? uh, Herman Bavink, a Dutch Reformed theologian, says this, Christ is not the founder of Christianity, nor the first confessor of it, nor even the first Christian. But Jesus is Christianity itself in its preparation, in its fulfillment, and in its consummation. Everything is wrapped up in in who this Jesus is. He is the light that these texts talk about. Verse 15 says this, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives the light for all who are in the house. We put the light there for people to see. But Jesus lights this world through his people. Hide it under a bushel? No, you're going to let it shine. You've sang that your entire life. So we're going to ask really difficult questions. Are you, as someone who has encountered the light that is Jesus, lighting up your workplace when you walk away? If we're thinking about what this new year looks like and how we should live out what God has for us, which is what he's always had for us, would you look at you in 2022, which I did not mean to rhyme, but it happened. Would you look at the way that you treated your coworkers, your employer, your employee, and see ways that you interacted with that person that looked unlike Jesus? And would you redirect that? But Chad, my coworkers are hard. I get it. <laughs> Difficult people. In the same way, let your light shine before men. 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Light. This is an anticipation of the great commission that Jesus will give us in Matthew. And the point of it is pretty clear. Followers of Jesus should positively impact their worlds. The disciples of Jesus are tied to his message of reaching the ends of the earth. And when I say disciple, I don't just mean 12 people walking around in, your bath, in their bathrobes. I mean people like us who claim that Jesus is our Lord. We are tied to his message of reaching the ends of the earth. We don't get to opt out of that. To be a disciple means to be an outward-focused agent of the kingdom, inviting people to honor and glorify Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You and you alone are here to preserve. You and you alone are here to light up the world. Placed here for the preservation to offset the undoneness of the world, to offset its decay and wretchedness. We preserve, we hold, we display. We are not light because we are right. We are light because of who we cling to. Philippians 2 is one of my favorite texts in the Scripture, and it talks about light and stars. And depending upon how you, which translation you use, it reads both ways. But in Philippians 2, verse 14 through 16, it reads this. Do everything without grumbling and, and arguing. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, or stars in the world. I, I had my daughter hand out some stars earlier to, to kids in the room. If you're a kid in the room and you have a star, could you just hold that up so I can see it? Anybody? We have them? All right. I got a few. Awesome. These, these work pretty... Uh, look, I don't typically do light shows in here. I don't have a fog machine. I put in an order. No one will receive it. But... These work a little differently than just any star. They, they glow, but they don't glow and emit lights that is inside of them. The thing is, you'll go into a Walmart or Hobby Lobby where I pick these up, and you buy these for kids who are afraid of the dark. That's why they exist. You put the little sticky stick on the back of it, and you put it on the ceiling of your kid's room. And all day long, they're exposed to light like this, like right here, all day. When you turn the lights out at night, they shine off a, a, a light, but it's not a light that's inside of them. It's a light that they've absorbed. C could you turn my lights down just a tad bit so we can see this? Or maybe. Can we turn the lights down? I don't know the rules, Jared. Oh, yeah, let's black it out. That's great. Look at that. So, the thing is, the longer these are exposed to real light, the, the brighter they're going to shine. But the strangest thing is that... You can turn the lights back up now. Like the Undertaker. Uh, the, the, the longer they're exposed to real light, they absorb that and they emit it. But the more they're separated from that light, the more dim they're going to become. That's why they trick your kids at 2 a.m. 
This passage lets us know that we are going to be people who shine as lights in the world, as stars in the universe. And we will do so by clinging to, or verse 16 reads, holding firm to the word of life. If we cling firmly to the word of life, then our lives will shine in front of those who are outside of relationship with Jesus. The more and more we are removed from him, the more dim we we may become. So if we're going to look at our lives this morning, going into 2023, actually we're already here, welcome. I want us to think through what it means for us to look at this next year and see how our lives are going to look differently. Because of who we are absorbing. So I would encourage you to think through a few things. One is, would you differentiate the way that you... you So maybe you are in the place in life where you think, man, just the way I've been doing this, it's kind of grown stale. I don't know what to do. I need a a fresh start. Well, maybe we can differentiate the way and, and not the reason that we're doing it. So maybe for you, you would think about how you interact with Scriptures differently. If you have always been someone who's committed to reading Scripture, still do that. But what if you gave some time to listening to Scripture? Just hearing it read. What if you, to interact with the Scriptures, chose this year to read in a different translation than the one you've used before? Maybe you've got these preachers that you love and they've grown stale in your ear for whatever reason. What if you were to vary the voices that you listen to? Now, I know that's a difficult thing to hear because you really like whoever your guy is and your guy is awesome. But I just want us to hear sometimes there are people that love Jesus and love His Word who who disagree with us. It doesn't mean that we're not bound to them, that their, their faith in Jesus is beneficial to us. I want us to make sure that we are continually thinking through what it means to interact with God because what the Lord has for you is what He's always had for you. Maybe you're in this room and you're here every single Sunday and you love it here, but you've never become a member of of Grace Bible. We would love for you to become a member of this church. I'm a really big fan of this church. I think that God's doing great things here. I love these people and I want you to be part. And if you're here and you've never had a membership meeting with us, you're not a member. That's kind of how that works. But Chad, I'm here every week. That's a common law member and it's a super weird way to function in a church. Let's think through what it means for us to plug in and be part of what God is doing. If, you've not, if you are not involved in a group that's having conversations about Scripture, could you do that? Formally, informally? Thinking through what it means to belong to all that God has done for us because of Jesus who is the light of the world, who has given us this task of emitting light. All of these things find their reality. All these things find their truth In this, we can be the people that Jesus has called us to be because of what Jesus has done. Each week in our worship gathering, we we wrap our time or take a portion of our time to celebrate what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. If you're a believer here, even if you're not a member of Grace Bible, you're visiting from far and wide, welcome, we're glad you're here. Or you've never placed, or you've never uh, become a member here, but you trust in Jesus. I want you to know that communion at the table is open for you. We would love for you to take this because we celebrate that we are united in Jesus and what we hear the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus, which is the hope of the world. If you're in this space and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to not take of the table because it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't. 
But for those of us who are in relationship with Christ, His broken body, His shed blood, it has united us with believers throughout the history of history. It has united us with God Himself. And we believe that, that His shed blood, His broken body, that's where our hope lies and where it rests. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to know that I'm in the back corner of the room. I would love to share with you about all that Christ has done so that you could know Him. So that you could trust Him. I would love to take communion with you there. If you're a member of grace, in a moment you're going to come and you're going to take of the elements and just take those back to your seat. Jerry will guide us, but remember the, the broken body of Jesus. When we take of the, the wafer, we are saying that His broken body was broken for us, that His blood was shed for us when we drink the cup. Let's not lose sight of that. Because what God has for us is what He's always had for us. Lord, thank you for today and thank you for your word. And I pray that it will sit heavy on my heart and on the hearts of our people. In Jesus' name. Would you stand?